Incoming transmission from the Babylon Project. Welcome to the Babylon Project, our last best hope for trash. This is a rewatch podcast for Babylon 5 featuring two veterans of the show and one newbie. I am your newbie host, Justin, and here to help me along are my co-hosts, Jude and Anna. Jude, Anna, how you doing? Uh, better than you, since you summarized today's episode. Fuck you! <laughs> uh, and I'm extremely grateful for uh, to Jude for summarizing uh, next episode for me. Uh, since I didn't quite get around to that in time, whoops. You're welcome. We've all we've all had a we've all had a day where it's like I can't do this episode. Could somebody else cover it? It is. It's the circle of pods. <laughs> there we go. Uh, I also extracted all of the hot peppers that I've gotten from our CSA in the last like four weeks from the fridge and chopped them all to go in, into little baggies in the freezer to be used throughout the winter. And now the kitchen is a hazardous, uh, like, like toxic atmosphere zone. I was going to say, just don't touch anything for the next day. I, I wore, I wore uh, latex gloves. Smart I, move. I'm, I'm no newbie to this. Smart move. I have a story about that subject I'm not going to tell, but <laughs> thank you. Lesson learned. None of us to know exactly what you touched. All right. Uh, Jude, how you doing? Um, um, how do I explain this? Let's just put it. I'll say this. If you have any familiarity with with Agile, you will understand oh God. how bad a mood I'm in these last this last week or so, <laughs> uh, because my boss is getting his nipples twisted by his bosses over epic writing and sprit planning. And that means he's turning around and twisting mine and nobody's happy about, no, nobody's happy. There's, everybody's got bruised nipples and nobody's happy. So with, the, with that as a transitory remark, um, <laughs> <laughs> tonight we're covering season four, episode 20. So, you know, there's only two, I'm going to have two questions for you. Uh, first is, which characters blaze on Babylon 5? Veer. <laughs> Oh no, we know we know canonically who blazes on Babylon Five, and it's Londo because he blazes the Jaquan F, <laughs> right? Which has like mild hallucinogenic properties. Yeah, uh, but I think I, I'm glad that we both went straight to the Centauri. The, I, I mean, I feel like that's that's extremely valid. But among the, I humans, feel like this has got to be how how like Veer relaxes after like you know the immense yes. amount of stress that no. Londo puts him under. Absolutely. Veer vapes. Like, in between scenes, when he's not around uh, Londo, he, like, goes around the corner and he busts out the vape pen. And he's, like, huffing va- huffing on a vape pen to try and, like, get through the day. You know, here, here's something that I would think. If, if in the 90s there had not been, like, a severe, like, cultural, like, push away from smoking... Veer would be a chain smoker. Oh, 100%. Yeah, no, hard agree. I was about to say, if we were rebooting the show and just realized this is the first episode where now we have to speculate on 
Not if we oh reboot God. the show, but hey, hey, in the upcoming we reboot. We we are going we can't hey, hey real quick. We are now we we're in a post reboot announcement world. We can't give these ideas out for free. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know what to say about that. What I was going to say is that in the reboot, I would not at all be surprised if they have somebody that if the if there is a Veer character, and there's no guarantee that there will be, if there is, I wouldn't be surprised if the Veer character vapes like some YouTube nerd. Um <laughs> or Johnny O'Mara, you know, one of the two. Tonight we are covering one episode because uh we're gonna we're getting down to the wire here. Um, we're getting to the end of season four. We know, like we've already discussed on the show, sort of what the um, the situation was as we get to the end of season four uh, with regards to like production stuff. They didn't think they were getting a four season, so we are wrapping everything up. And yep. this is my way of delaying and postponing my pain, even for a moment. <laughs> Well, it's, it's worth keeping in mind based on some of the plot stuff that happens, particularly in, in this episode and the next one, that mm-hmm. um, they thought that they were done, and so they were wrapping the show. Yep. Yep. As uh, previously stated, we are covering Season 4, Episode 20, Endgame, written by J. Michael Straczynski, directed by John Copeland. Ha 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 Endgame. I'm sure nothing's going to go wrong, but it is instead talking about the endgame ship of... We start with Marcus looking over Ivanova. Delenn says that Ivanova must be sent home, that she can at least be made comfortable with what time she has left. On Mars, Franklin narrates his log to say they are preparing for the final fight for Earth and Mars. They meet with an Earth Force officer who is helping smuggle the frozen telepaths aboard the uh, Earth destroyer fleet. One telepath per destroyer. Garibaldi, meanwhile, is scouting out a location outside the domes on Mars with a team. They're staging a commando raid on an Earth Force facility and moving into position. We see that the shuttles being launched from the facility are going to Clark's fleet in orbit above Mars. We cut to the inside of the facility, where the commando team and sympathizers to Sheridan take command of the bunker. As they get prepared, Lita puts on some sort of neural device on her head. On the fleet... Sheridan addresses the Agamemnon's bridge and then hails the White Stars. He gives a speech detailing how important it is that they take Earth, and that Mars must and the fleet with Mars must be dealt with first, lest they fight uh, a two-front war. The White Stars and sympathetic Earth ships will engage, while the League ships will only observe and fire only if they are fired upon. On the Earth Loyalist side, they are picking up a fleet in hyperspace, and anticipated to Sheridan. The commander of the fleet, a dude named General Lefcourt, uh, reveals that he taught Sheridan, but he's loyal to Earth, and he'll have to kill him, even if he greatly regrets it, because it's about the integrity of the government. Uh, back on Mars, Franklin is finishing setting up the device, and Lita reveals that she will have to be outside to do this, because she needs no obstructions from whatever she's doing. Like, for example, the hull of a ship? Oh, yeah, that will... Eh, don't worry about it. Um, Garibaldi sends a signal to the fleet they are ready. On White Star 2, Marcus and Lanier argue about Ivanova, with Marcus still holding out hope, and Lanier saying quickly that there's nothing usable on B5. Marcus's pressing is interrupted by Garibaldi's message. 
Garibaldi reveals that their message was in fact a set of precise coordinates to open a jump point in Mars's fucking atmosphere. A <laughs> White Star 2 jumps out and starts strafing the airfield. On the Apollo, General Lefcourt's flagship, Lefcourt refuses to send any ships to go back as the gravity well would box them in. Sheridan tells Lita to start, and she gets the go to activate the telepaths. They wake and start to Borgify the Earth fleet to hack the Earth destroyers. When one of the Resistance members, I think, rightfully questions the morality of using living weapons like this, Franklin says that the Shadow-modified telepaths are fighting for Earth. They just don't know which. Um, welcome to War Crimes Table, uh, Franklin. <laughs> On Wednesdays, we wear red. Yeah. Would you like to take a few more laps around the the uh, complicated justifications uh, circuit? Talk about yep. convoluted fucking logic there. It's like whatever, whatever helps you sleep at night, bud. <laughs> Franklin doesn't sleep at night. No, he's too busy waxing his chest. Well, that and because he doesn't have a soul. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, and ba- back a couple of seasons ago, it would be because he takes stims, but... Yeah. Sheridan's fleet jumps into Mars, Mars's orbit, and computers start to fail across the fleet. Marines are sent to investigate. Only ten of the Earth fleet is functional, and Sheridan orders them disabled, and then he orders them forward to Earth. On the Apollo, they're able to remove the telepath and get the ship under control, but the rest of the fleet is still disabled. Meanwhile, Marcus is looking through video records of medical logs, trying to find anything that can help save Ivanova. As he goes through records, he finds that alien healing device from season one and... Oh. No. 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 Marcus orders a shuttle to be prepared for launch, and he uses a white star to return to B5. This is not happening. This is not happening. This is not happening. Delenn informs Sheridan of Marcus leaving, and Sheridan looks back at the bridge. Unable to contact B5 due to Clark's jammers, he orders them forward to Earth. Sheridan hails Earth and informs them they are there on the behalf of those murdered by Clark's regime to arrest Clark and disband the Night Watch. Clark is seen penning something on his own personal stationery, and we see the planetary defense grid coming online. Sheridan urges people listening to act and rise up, to stand against tyranny. He says that they are not traitors, but people who are loyal to Earth, who are here for justice. The defense platforms fire, and the fleet engages. We then see Earth, where soldiers are banging down Clark's door. Clark decides to take the PPG retirement option instead, however, just as the doors are burst open. A woman comes to Clark's desk and sees that Clark has been writing the phrase The Ascension of the Ordinary Man again and again, with letters circle to spell Scorched Earth. The woman uses the comm to contact Sheridan. She informs him of Clark's message and says that the defense grid is being turned towards Earth. And the particle beams that are on the defense platforms could destroy up to 40% of the Earth's surface. And, you know, cause, like, nuclear winter on the rest, but let's not bother with that. Yeah. Don't worry about it. <clears throat> Seems fine. <laughs> it would just, just the planet would be gone. Yeah. Yeah. Sheridan orders the fleet to attack the grid and asks Delenn to send in the rest of the fleet. The offensive fleet takes hard hits from the missile grid as the particle beams come online, and the Agamemnon is closest to the remaining platform. However, the Agamemnon has taken damage and has no active weapons remaining. 
John, channeling his best Admiral Farragut, says, Eight bells ahead, damn the torpedoes, ramming speed. Just before they ram the platform, however, the Apollo jumps in. General Lefcourt's ship destroys the satellite, and the Aggie survives. The Agamemnon's captain reports that all the satellites have been destroyed, and Lefcourt welcomes Sheridan home. After the battle, the Agamemnon's captain talks with Sheridan, and John reveals that he sent Franklin home as fast as possible. An ISN special report starts with the reporter tearfully announcing that they are back on the air after being forcefully seized by Clark, and many journalists were imprisoned and killed. She reveals that Sheridan's forces saved Earth from the planetary defense grid. Meanwhile, on a White Star, Franklin keeps trying to hail B-5 from hyperspace, but with no success. We then cut to Babylon 5's med lab, where we see a mess of equipment and knocked out staff, with Marcus hooked up to the alien healing device and sitting over Ivanova's bed. He tells Ivanova that he loves her. <sighs> Fuck this. What order, what order do we want to do this in? We made you summarize it because we know that you like narrating the space battles, Justin. Yeah, it was the space battles. <laughs> uh, so I have some like weird trivia about this episode, and then maybe we'll do the heavy stuff. How about that? Okay. Okay. Uh, so fun fact, ISN reporter Jane, uh, along with Stephen Franklin, is one of the only two characters to appear in all five seasons of B5 and season one of Crusade. Which is cool. Yeah. I mean, Good on I, I kind of hate it that it's Franklin of all people, along with no, no last name Jane. Uh, but also I do love that it's this reporter person. Uh, we'll talk more about her. I'm just going to imagine that she's Jane Payne from Ted Lasso. <laughs> That's her name now. We'll, we'll we'll talk more about her later in uh, I Know That Face because she's got a pretty a pretty entertaining. Yeah, we've got some good Know That Face this time. Yeah, we really do. <laughs> After like a barren as fuck season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there is a JMS Speaks where someone is complaining about how fast the ISN reporter apparently is able to get out of jail and onto air. And JMS's reply is very good, which is basically like, well, fuck you. Soviet reporters managed it just fine. So how about fuck you? <laughs> I particularly love the JMS speaks for both of these episodes because he is such a bag of asses in both of them. He's so, you can tell he's fucking exhausted and prickly and defensive. Because he like half of the JMS speaks are just him like refuting what had to have been like super casual posts. Like this episode seems a little rushed, and then there's like three posts about how fuck you, it's not rushed. You just don't know how writing works. It's really good. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, it's rushed because they're trying to cram the oh, rest of the show. But it's into... not. But it's not. <laughs> he has yeah. a lengthy post about how it's not. This it it isn't rushed. You just don't know how narratives work. He rushed the other stuff. <laughs> this isn't rushed. Whatever. We're, we're, okay, we're, we're finishing the series in these last three episodes or whatever. I think it's fine, relatively, like, yeah. pacing-wise. Yeah. I think there's some stuff that, like, especially, like, the Mars stuff is maybe a little too quick. And I think, like, the planetary defense grid, it feels like something tacked on at the end. Yeah. Sort it, of. It could have been given a little bit more time to breathe. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that gets pulled out really quick. I think there there is a nice mo like, like I think it does lead to a very nice moment where the Minbari fleet coming in 
to save Earth from its own planetary defense grid is like, hold on, hold on, let me do it. It's like poetry. It rhymes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, exactly. I love how fucking useless Lefcourt is. Like, he, he saunters in in that first scene and you're like, oh, he was Sheridan's teacher. He's there's We're going to get a real space battle here. He's going to, like, anticipate Sheridan. It's going to be a real fight. And it's like, nope. <laughs> he gets he's, he's fucking like, dunked. Yeah, he gets... I mean, it's way less like dramatic even than the fight at Proxima. Oh yeah, right. Like that was a more like hardcore space battle. Yeah, there it, there's effectively no space battle. the The Earth yeah. ships get dunked, and then the platform they shoot some platforms, and that's it. It's I, but I just love that they like build up Left Court as this like, you know, this this enemy for for Sheridan to face off against strategically, and then like, nope. I also think his justification. Do we want to talk about Lefcourt as well? Where what his he's boneheaded? Yeah, yeah. I I really hate to be killing my protege, but guess I gotta do it. Oh no! Left Lefcourt's the kind of guy that thinks he's done everything right. So when he gets up there in front of the military tribunal. He thinks he's perfectly safe when he admits to doing all the things he did because he's protected by I was just following orders and is still shocked and offended that anyone thinks otherwise right until the moment that the noose is put around his neck. So I think what we're what we're what I'm going to harp on probably to the annoyance of some people in the next few episodes is how much this these last two episodes are just it's a fantasy. It's a total like I, I think it's like the 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 Earth that is being I know I or it's either a total naive fantasy or it's a masterstroke of world building for a season five of an Earth that is going to be so terrible, um, that is going to be just like in the dumpster and like we're gonna have to like. We're going to have to, like, condemn that planet in, by, like, episode six. <laughs> well, because... <laughs> because a dude who's who's fighting for an authoritarian government under the idea of, I was just following orders, gets a bigger, big damn hero moment than anybody else in the actual main fucking cast. <laughs> You're not wrong. I also, we'll talk about th- this, we'll talk about my sort of corollary to that point in the next episode yeah next it's both like i agree with you that it's fantasy but also like the but like also we just saw it like it just happened yeah but like, yes. there's also like yeah, an no. element of like yeah and that's that's where i'm going with this there's an element of like humans are just that dumb that like in the next episode the the president is all like oh fuck you sheridan you better behave and he's like okay like as if he doesn't and he's he's pretending I don't know if he's pretending or if he's actually intimidated, despite the fact that, you know, there's a fucking fleet of Charlin class Minbari cru- cruisers up there. And if they <laughs> yeah. if if they fuck around and find out what they're going to find out is that the planet is going to be glassed in in four places like they can't. It's great. Yeah, it's basically yeah. it's basically my thing of just like it, it's mostly just like, oh, hey, this is either much more. James is just sweeping this under the rug that I expect, or he's a lot more cynical than I gave him credit oh, for. See, I, I'm on the cynical, 
like I'm I'm 100% on the cynical boat because like I feel like we just we just saw this in the wake of like January 9th, etc. Well, yeah, that's where, and yeah, it's because yeah, I mean, where we're, like immediately the media was like, well, but this was all really terrible, but we all need to come together as one people and just forget about it. It's it's cool. Yeah. And like that's what we're seeing here and it's yeah. it's um <laughs> I mean We'll get to we'll get to my thing of like that it might still be the former next episode. Yeah. But we'll, we'll. <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit more. Let's talk about some of the other stuff in this episode because there's some there's some great stuff in this episode. My greatest hope. Your your maybe your best hope. Yes. <laughs> uh, my best hope for the reboot is that we get more Mars resistance, so that we can have. <laughs> The number that and they they get somebody that has a a a fraction of how fucking cool number one is. I love, and her. we can get more. Yeah. And we, I fucking love this character. She's just like they're wheeling telepaths around. And she's like, the fuck are you doing? Uh, she is like collected and cool, but also like completely unfazed. She's just like, sure, crates full of telepaths. This is fucking bizarre, but whatever. I love how quickly she goes from what the fuck is going on to not my circus, not my monkey. Yeah. Yeah. She's just great. I love the writing on her and I love the performance because the actress yeah. performing her could have like phoned it in is like super hard ass. No, she's like, mm-hmm. it is it is such a like great display of like competence and like calculation at the same time it's just great and i just want yeah i want her in like all of season five can we just have number one in everything like can we just make her a regular character i just love her and i would love that see the funny thing is like okay i like you know jms doesn't ever pay attention to any other sci-fi that goes on we know this we, we we know that we know that JMS is in fact the one person who isn't who isn't influenced by other media. But man, <laughs> unfortunately, your Mars act is gonna ha- is gonna be tough to follow up because we've already got like the best Mars story. Yeah. <laughs> of which I mean, you know, there are worse things to to model it up after. Yeah. Um, but like I think like both of like the actresses for like the random Martian resistances, the Mars, like the number one and the random Earth Force defector, both are just like gold in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Like the random Earth Force defector who is just like, I'm sorry, what the fuck is going on? You're doing what to these ships? Which let's talk about that. So after this ridiculously slow burning um, plot, like, Wax grew on this candle. It was so slow burning. <laughs> uh, we finally figure out what they're there at the plot for. The the, the telepasticles. Yeah. Let's yeah, yeah, sure. Let's talk about maybe the most egregious war crime that we've had, which is yeah. saying something. Yeah. I think it's like actually a pretty tame war crime. Are you um, kidding me? I mean You're, you're making in Okay, let me make my case. You are taking not just civilians, but victims of biological warfare victims who are unable to consent in any way to their participation in this scheme. You are going to shove them up the butt of a warship and have them disable that warship where the most likely outcome 
is that they will bond with that ship and who knows what will happen. Or they'll get shot by Marines and killed. Or both. Or both. So that is somehow not one of the most egregious. Like, I'm don't get me wrong. I'm saying on in the scale of like mass destruction, yes. John, nuke any, nuke anything as long as it as long as I can lie about it to make it more effective. Sheridan has nuked more stuff, and that's a, arguably a more destructive war crime. But on a scale of like morally egregious on multiple axes, I can't think of anything in this show that is worse than this. Plus, they get a doctor involved. So, uh, granted, it's Franklin, so he had no moral ethics to begin with. But were it another doctor. <laughs> He would have had ethics that would have been just absolutely obliterated. And it puts Lita in a compromising position. Poor Lita, who ha- has been bent around like a goddamn pipe cleaner by this crew into all kinds of compromising positions over the course of this war. There's almost nobody comes out of this clean. The only person who comes out of this clean is number one, who just doesn't give a shit. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's definitely fair. It's the I can see the calculus though of like essentially thirty lives to disable the warships rather than having to destroy them though. Honestly, I kind of sort of had written off the telepathicals as dead already. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, like they've got shadow tech in their brains. Like they, yeah, they ain't coming I think, back. I think they're go- like it, it's for me. It's just like. And I mean, we can talk about how, you know, bodily autonomy is still a thing, even if yes. you're dead. Yeah. Yes. I, I like that. That is very important. But like, they're probably not, you know, ever coming back from being yeah. telepathicals. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's mostly just like, I have zero faith in like, if the Minbari have been around and not been able to do anything with this for like the last year and a half. I don't yeah. really got a lot of faith in Earth. Yeah. I just want to say one thing, and that's how overjoyed I am that we're referring to them as telepathicals. I'm really pleased that that <laughs> euphemism stuck. Uh, I love it. Um, I also agree that if the Minbari can't do fuck all for him, they're pretty hosed. I think it's probably of dubious wisdom to just like do nothing with them. But at the same time, I think taking them and stuffing them up inside of enemy ships is not the right way to use them. Yeah. I just don't think that the victims of medical experimentation should be used as suicide bombers. I just feel like that's a a dubious moral gray area. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not saying it's okay. I'm just saying, like, it's... I don't know. Maybe it's just... Maybe it's just I've grown a callous to this. Um, It's just a Tuesday as far as war crimes go on Babylon 5. Yeah. I feel like in the scale of, like, this versus, like... No, there's no civilians on the entire planet of Zaha Doom, despite the fact that there are, you know, like all of the other, mm-hmm. you know, races and like the Drak and like there've got to be some civilians. There. I don't know. Drak had a covet. Drak had a covet. Fair, but like, <laughs> listen, I mean, they've got think, bad vibes. <laughs> they're creepy. Think, think so of the little baby. Fine. Think of the little, the little baby keeper. Tentacle things. Oh no! no fuck it! Fuck it! Burn it from, <laughs> burn it from orbit. No, that's. A, I mean, I. I guess I'm just pro nuking bad vibes. I think maybe, maybe we're not qualified to ask what's worse, nuking civilians or using them. Like, I mean, 
Putting aside quantity, because obviously nuking the city kills more people. Yeah. I don't think we're really, I don't think it's really help. I, 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 I do think we've reached a point where there's not much value in debating yeah. what's a more egregious way to, to, to misuse civilians in wartime, using them as suicide bombers or dropping a nuke on them. I feel like it's a, they both suck. And maybe John Sheridan I, has a, a huge gaping hole where his wartime morals used to be at least at least he seems to understand that like this is probably that's what bad makes it worse that's what makes it worse he does <laughs> he knows it and he keeps doing it this is what war crime four five we're up to now so the real problem here is the fact that like sheridan is going to submit himself to like the the mercy of the courts and nobody's going to bat an eye on this at earth yeah. Well, they're telepaths. So I guess my I guess my question is, which is more horrible, the person who commits the crime or the government that seeks no justice for it? There's no winners in there. No, there no. isn't. No. Um, it- what I'm saying is that I'm not a lawyer. I am not a philosopher. I'm a dumb bitch who um, is <laughs> still putting off our Marcus conversation here. <laughs> <laughs> Anything to not get to the Marcus part. Well, on that note, we've run out of other stuff to talk about. So I I think the first thing I need to say on this is I feel like Lanier wanted Marcus to know about that machine. Oh, 100%. Marcus is, Lanier is like, there's no wink, wink, (laughs) wink, usable tech. Eh, eh, eh. File 74 BA7, wink, 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 that you could use. I mean, I don't think he really wanted, I don't know. Like, I don't think he wanted Marcus to kill himself. Yeah. But like. No. I don't think he was, I don't think he was intentionally trying to drop a hint there. I think that was a genuine slip there. Yeah. Like, I don't think he's like, yeah, yeah, go, go off yourself. So Ivanova can live and join and still and come back for season five. Yeah. Like that. that's. Yeah, I, I but like Lanier's no dummy, right? And and he knows that, like, despite the fact that we rag on, uh, or, I mean, not rag on, but you know, despite the fact that we classify Marcus as a himbo, he's also no dummy. Like, he's insightful and he's you know yeah. observant, and so like he immediately cottoned on to the fact that like Lanier was referring was, to something or thinking of something yeah. when he made that comment. Yeah, I would also like to point out that he. Clearly wasn't a dummy because he managed to track down the evidence of this thing by watching fucking video files of Franklin. Like, do they not have text files? Do they not have like a a, a search engine for their they files? They do. I mean, he uses it. That's how he uses it. Yeah. That's how he figures it out. But he's like, he, he's like, he's like, he's like going through like, he's like, hey, let's start on stuff that's life threatening. And he's just going through them and he's like, oh, I found something. Computer, show me everything that has the under this relevant category. That's right. Like to the yeah, but he so yeah. so he does know how to so like, yeah, but he just like starts out watching random Franklin things, which I feel like is super dangerous. Like just show me random things that Doctor Franklin recorded in the med lab. Like I don't know, like like his ex dying. Yeah, I I feel like that's super hazardous. Maybe you get Franklin doing surgery. Maybe you get Franklin's notes on an alien medical device. Maybe you get Franklin. Pouring Mountain Dew flavored lube all over Garibaldi on a on a medical table. You never know. I feel like that's a real dangerous <laughs> gamble to take. I would not roll that die personally. Yeah, no, but like the 
I mean, that's been like a really long dangling plot thread there, which I didn't think we were ever going to see again. Yeah. Were you surprised by Chekhov's alien healing device? Um, yes, I was. More the fact that I like immediately recognized what was going to happen and my stream of consciousness uh, <laughs> writing for the plot this week was accurately described my feelings for that. Yeah. I, JMS, I, give him credit. Like, we dunk on JMS a lot. But... <laughs> We've done nearly four seasons of the show. I think that most of the time when we dunk on JMS, it's for generally extraneous things. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like, I just want to, like, let's clear that up. I just want to put that on the record for most, like. Most of the time when we dunk on JMS, it's not for stuff on the show. It's for, it's for the being, stuff that he says on JMS Speaks. Yeah. It's for being yeah. a petty bitch on Usenet or something like that. It's, <laughs> it's not for his writing. Yeah. No, his ability. I don't love that when you watch a long form TV show these days, there's a pretty good chance that if you see some connection back to an early episode, it was written that episode. Like there's not as much long-term planning in these, in these long, in these multi-season arcs because there's just, that's not really how they work this stuff. They, they have a Bible, but they don't always seed stuff back at the beginning. That's just not the way shows are written these days. It's not the case with JMS. JMS has said that like, for example, uh, in episode, okay, I can't talk about that yet, but there's a thing (laughs) in. The episode we don't like where the where Frank the the very first time Franklin makes dubious ethical decisions that that go bad for everyone around him. The one the one with uh, uh yeah. Lieutenant Exoxoli so, in it, right? Exogenesis or whatever it is. No, 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 no. The one where the one where like the lady is healing the old the old lady is healing people. No, no, no. The one where uh the, the one the, where the lady's life is being sucked out of her? No, the, by the No, the one where the the alien the guy, the the archaeologist brings like the alien biotech oh, device oh, on board. Oh. There's apparently a line in that episode that is a direct reference to something that is referenced in the last episode of this season. Like intentionally was referenced. Yeah. JMS knew what this show w- was supposed to be. And he had Lots of stuff planned out over the whole arc. And I think that's fucking dope. And very few shows have that kind of foresight. I I struggle to name another show that is not based on like a book series that is that thoughtful about its planning. I love Battlestar Galactica. Did not have foresight and foreplanning. I love a lot of shows that have had multiple seasons. Very few of them put that kind of forethought into doing a long arc like that. Or specifically, like, a lot of them will lay track for things that are resolved that specific season. Mm-hmm. So, you know, thinking of, say, Westworld, right? Yeah. Where, like, the early episodes yeah. lay a lot of track for things that only get revealed in the last episode of the first season. But then season two, like, fucking starts fresh, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's it's a much more, it's, it's a format now that it leads to a much more seasonal storytelling format that's generally, I think that's a little bit more just, like, how it is because you do, I mean, generally it's shows don't know whether they're going to be picked up for another season. And, and like, you know, and, and there is definitely a sense of like, well, we want to tell the story. We want to tell the story in the time frame we have. So yeah, 
let's you know like let's at least keep this self-contained so that like we can have I mean it's also when you don't see end of season cliffhangers anymore. Yeah. That's yep. what's that is what makes Babylon 5 even more fucking bananas to me is that was true when JMS was writing B5 only more so. He was even less likely to get multiple seasons then than he is now than he would than the average genre show now. And he still was like, nope, we're going to tell a story that has a five-year plan, and I'm just going to operate like I'm going to get it. And hey, at least it's not Trek because we're not asking for seven. <laughs> I just can't believe that it it worked. And it, yeah. the result is part of why I think this show is so fucking compelling, is that it just builds and builds and builds. And it's like put together like the perfect fucking sandwich. Like every episode is is adding layers of ingredients to, to the sandwich. You know what I mean? So you can have a piece of toast and you can keep having great pieces of toast or you can build a really fucking good sandwich. And, you know, or or the way that I would think about it is that a lot of a lot of it's like, you know, a bunch of like, OK, sandwiches. Yeah. Right. You know that each each season would be a, an OK sandwich using your analogy of yeah. TV shows as sandwich related ideas yeah i feel like i feel like the the episodic like the purely episodic type shows you know thinking of say you know tng here that's that's where you've got a you've got a slice of toast every day yeah yeah no that's a good point yeah anyway enough toast related yeah let's make let's 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 talk about the sads marcus is marcus yeah i love Uh, marcus the slow pan that shot across med lab and it's dark and you just mm-hmm. see it starts out like you know it's med lab and then you see shit's all knocked over and then there's like a, a tech like knocked unconscious and then you just see marcus laying across avanova and it's so well shot like it's very very well done to just it's it's all it's very serene despite like the chaos that evidently happened to get to that moment the scene the scene that kills me though is the one at the very start of the episode where you know Delenn yeah. is talking about you know sending ivanova home to be five and marcus is like but she would want to be at the battle mm-hmm. and Delenn is like but we could make her more comfortable on b5 and marcus is like but she's dying yeah, he's deep in despair at that point. Yeah, and like that—that that was a mood. Yeah, and he sells it so well. He in the previous episode as well, where he just sits there crying while Sheridan is brought in to see uh, Ivanova, and then in this episode where he's just equally like he's just sitting there bereft. He barely even hears Delenn come in. It's just—it's intense. I think that this entire episode is really like an encapsulation of Marcus as a character Mm. of somebody who refuses to say like who refuses to accept no as an answer. He refuses to accept that there is like no solution for a problem. Um, But he is also somebody who is looking for a cause to die for. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 From the first moment he walked onto the station, he has felt like a martyr in want of a cause. Yeah. And he's somebody who uh, his self-worth is 
in such a place that he doesn't think twice about it about about like he would i think he would do this for a number of people because he is somebody who because of that sort of complex he has that he like he that he's you know looking for something to die for doesn't value himself very much agreed he sort of absorbed that from sinclair like you know that that was a kind of major character trait of sinclair actually mm-hmm. yeah and it's sort of you know, as the seasons have gone on, it kind of transferred on to Marcus, I feel like. I think it's very much a ranger you can thing, only, too. you can only really have one of those characters on a show. Yeah, but I th- definitely think it's also a ranger ethos. I think it's a combination of the, the rangers are very are very much a, a willing to die for their cause group. And then yeah. you take Marcus, who is a person that, as you very correctly point out, I think for whatever reason... Uh, just doesn't doesn't value himself. Yeah, he doesn't think he's worth anything, and thinks that the best use of his life is to spend it on something greater, uh, or f- for someone better than him. And I think that's a that's a super dangerous combination. And that's where you get something like this. And man, it's it just hurts. He's such a joyful yeah. character, and to see him broken like this at the end and then he sees a way to like fix it at, with him with his own life and you know there was never there was never any way to going to be a way to stop him once he knew that yeah. he could trade his life for Ivanova's you mm-hmm. you could have put every earth ship in between him and Ivanova and he would have found a way through them he was the immovable force at that point there was nothing anyone could have done yeah. Um, do we want to talk about guest stars? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Let's. Uh, uh, do we want to talk about Dr. fucking Chakwas? Yeah. So the senator who comes to arrest <laughs> Clark is, her name is Carolyn Seymour. She is Dr. Chakwa in fucking Mass Effect. I had no idea I, who that was. I I was like, I know this voice. I like, I look at IMDb and I, I lost it. I was just like, Yes. She has a fucking slapping voice acting resume. Yeah, she um, she is Mon Mothma in several Star Wars video games. Yeah, she has a uh, great voice. Yeah, it's it's an accent that is very like it is not what we typically it's not what we would typically consider like a traditional British accent, and so it's very it's very unique. Yeah. Watch us! Watch us! Some English person is going to get into our mentions and say everybody has that accent. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is actually pretty stacked, but not in the sense that like we're just talking about some recurring characters. So, for example, Maggie Egan, who portrays Jane, the ISN reporter, uh, she's been in. She's come up before. We've just never really talked about her before. But uh, she's an interesting character. Uh, she was in an episode of Alien Nation with Andreas Katsalis. I thought that was a fun fact. That's wild. Uh, I gotta go look that episode up. Uh, she has the weirdest typecasting I've ever seen. If you go look at her history on IMDb, at least a third, if not closer to like a half of her roles, are TV reporters. She looks like a TV reporter, though. So this is a thing that happens. That's just a wild, that's wild that you can be typecast as like, a news reporter or like a, a, a newscaster. And she, ha- she has a really good voice for it, though. No, she does. I just think it's. Oh, um, 
And a lot of people who are newscasters, like, will tend to do that as, like, a, a bonus, th- like, a separate thing. Like, okay, Parks and Rec, the, um, the newscaster guy there. But, like, th- there's a, there's a recurring newscaster on Parks and Rec. And he does, like, a bunch of it, like, across all stuff. Like, okay, I just look at this guy. His name is Jay Jackson. Like... He has like four or five credits a year, and like usually, and like three of them a year are newscaster reporter or something. <laughs> and it's just like, it's, and like he was like, oh yeah, he was an on air anchor for 22 years and then just decided to start doing this. Weird. I mean, it's, I guess it's like, okay, hey, if you, if I like, if you're going to, if you're going to cast that role, you, it's a role that I think would easily translate to, I could do this in real life, I could do this on TV. Yeah, because you're already doing it on TV. Yeah, it's a, yeah. it's it's not even a sidestep. It's like a uh, it's a twitch to one side. We've also got Gary McGurk, 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 which is a great name. Uh, no shade, just McGurk, uh, who plays Clark, probably better known for his recurring role on Home Improvement as Dwayne Hoover. I did not watch Home Improvement on the reg, so I did not recognize him as that. I could not i could this is 11 episodes i could not identify this yeah man. <laughs> uh but you may recognize his voice more recently from the failed looter shooter uh outsiders which i did not play me neither that's why it's a failed looter shooter <laughs> uh but the winner for today is j patrick mccormick who plays left court uh he has had a very busy career he played the uh, nemesis Dean in Van Wilder, but he is another weirdly typecast one. He has played generals in everything from Armageddon to West Wing. Uh, and for you... <laughs> I knew you recognized him. Yeah. And for you uh, nerds, aka our entire listeners, ship, uh, besides B5, he's also had appearances in all the Star Treks, Nemesis, Voyager, DS9, a Jurassic Park, and Space Above and Beyond. So Dang. he has been a busy boy. So yeah, uh, that is, I mean, I think that's pretty much Endgame. All right. As we continue our slow crawl toward episode 50 and the end of season four. Yeah. Yes. Um, next week, we will be covering uh, Rising Star. So until next time, be seeing you. The Babylon Project is an independent production. All views expressed on the show are our own. Clips from the original show remain property of the original owner. Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-alike no derivatives license. Recording.